and welcome to the Film Jerk Podcast. I am your host, Edward Havens. Welcome to the second part of our two-part mini-series on grounded genre of the 1980s with our special guest host, Sarah Bullion. We rejoin our discussion already in progress. Star Wars was the first movie where I was drawn into what movies could be. I think Star Wars probably did that for an entire generation. Yeah, but for example... Badly sagging into our next movie, you know, it's a uh, it's a grounded genre. It's about a white family in the suburbs who have some horrible things happen to them because they buy a house that's on sacred burial ground. My poltergeist. Yeah. All across the country, by 4 a.m., TV screens go blank. The late late show is over. The Freeling home is different. Although nothing is on, something is there. Poltergeist, it knows what scares you. Rated PG. Starts Friday. Check newspapers for a theater near you. And of course, we don't need explanations of Poltergeist. No. I, I will I will um say uh, I will say that um Glenn Mazzara does not think that poltergeist is grounded genre. Okay. Because it has too much going on with the portal. Mm-hmm. And then the portal I guess makes it I think he he literally just said like too much going on there. Cut <laughs> cut that part out. That a portal if you're going because they went went to another dimension and then came back, mm-hmm. it sort of bumped it out of genre or grounded genre and just into genre, the genre genre. Right. Um, I would disagree. I would respectfully disagree with that because you don't actually go to the other dimension with them. Right. They sort of just go in one door and pop out the other. Right. But yeah. But, and then, I mean, then, but it almost exclusively this story happens within this house. Yeah. I mean, even things when once it becomes more fantastical, cheaper towards, to make. Yeah, but once it becomes more fast, fantastical, even at the end, you're not seeing the effects around everybody around them. It's yeah. basically happening just to their yeah. house. Even their house implodes and just disappears. It disappears, altogether. even though you know the entire subdivision right. is on this burial ground. It's only happening to them. That's for me, is why it's still within grounded genre. So, even though I greatly respect Mr. Mazzara <laughs> and his opinions and his success, I respectfully disagree. He's a mensch. Yeah. Uh, you know, but now the more I think about it, you know, it starts off as a ghost story and then becomes, even though there are, and even though there are ghosts there, there, there is another being there. So it's like a, and you don't know what that other being is, the one that Emmy wants to older she's light and things like that mm-hmm. um that's not a ghost anymore that becomes a whole nother oh and the thing that came out of the closet those the, aren't ghosts in well, the, the traditional beast. sense human spirits are just human spirits human spirits don't necessarily become unless they're acted upon mm-hmm. demons or anything like that so and, and you don't one, really know what the beast right. is i guess is my yeah, point is my, but but it's like and then you know they're you know the 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 house is built on the ground. They just move the headstones. So right. in one sense, something bad is a- acting upon that. So the story is more or less just about sacrilege, because the bodies are dead. They don't care. Well, the bodies are dead, but the spirits care. Right, and that's a, and they care because it's sacrilege. Right, or they care because of the disrespect. Yeah, they and and because... and it could be the explanation could be capitalism. Uh, well, no, but I'm saying is that <laughs> okay. why is it only happening to yeah. them? And the explanation would be because... He was in charge of the whole subdivision. He was in tra- He was like... But he didn't know about the burials. No, but he was and the then, guy running the show. He so was kind of running, yeah. anybody was watching, they would have seen him be like... Okay, so, so maybe the vengeance was specifically targeted towards the dead. But it wasn't happening to anybody else. Yeah. And that's, for me, why it's still grounded is but, because... Except it, that at the end, all the neighbors do see it. The, too. the neighbors see it. Right. But it's not happening to oh, them. Oh, okay. They're all living. They're they're all living on top of a, a burial ground, but it's only happening to that one family. To that one family, and then all of the things that happen to them after, after the movie. That is so freaky. I just you know reading it, and then 
talk about Domini Dunn. That's mm. just a fucking horrible story. Yeah. And then the little girl and then the old lady. And... Got any opinions about that? Um, I'm a skeptic. I freely admit that I'm an atheist. I don't particularly believe in a life after death, whatever that means. I don't necessarily believe in a spirit. So I, I'm, and, and I don't, but for me, that's for me. When I hear something bad happens to Dominique Dunn, it's a tragedy. But does it have anything to do specifically with the movie? Because I don't, and I don't think so, because there are so many stories, unfortunately, of similar things happening to other young ladies sure. in this industry for similar reasons, not specifically, you know, killed by your boyfriend, but you know, it was like the Rebecca Schaefer right. story. You know, she didn't know that guy or the, uh, the young lady, uh, Kimmy, I can't remember her name, but she, uh, she was a Disney a channel star who was killed by one of her fans a few years ago down in Florida. I'm just saying is that there's yeah. so many, no, I understand that. there's so many other similar stories that have happened to young ladies yeah, but it's it's that something then, freaky happened after every movie was. And then Heather O'Rourke, she was young, but you know, young people die of cancer all the time. Is it a weird coincidence that something happened to one of the stars of the movie after each of the movies open? Yes, weird <laughs> coincidence. Right. But is it specifically tied to some kind of curse because of the movie? No. Well, you don't believe in curses to begin with. Well, I don't believe in curses anyway. And then there was the Poltergeist remake with um, Sam Rockwell and Rosemary Witt that came out like five or six years ago. It, nothing happened there, including people going back. I was going to say, the only, the only death there was the, the box grosses, office. The grosses. <laughs> but I'm just saying is that... Well, that makes me, it makes me think about, you know, so clearly atheists watch movies differently. Like, it never really occurred to me that, that, you know, having these experiences and having these gifts makes me watch movies in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And that atheists um, would really just have a completely different experience than yeah. I would. So, because I remember um, when I watched, so as you can imagine, like, I'm, I'm an avid ghost story watcher, love mm -hmm. ghost stories. And I remember when Sixth Sense came out, mm -hmm. I was like, all right, we'll check this out. and. I went into that when I was watching that movie. I was like, "Yes, that's exactly what it's like." Finally, that's how that's how it feels. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what it sounds like. That's how the you know how that kid is responding. All of that stuff. I was like, "Oh, finally, somebody nailed it." Mm -hmm. You know, um, but that probably just sounds ridiculous to you. You know, but it, it doesn't sound ridiculous. But when I saw Sixth Sense, I kind of picked up on it very quickly. Right, and so. By the time it got to that reveal, I had already seen it because right. it had it had literally I'm, been. I mean, once you see the movie a couple times, right? I'm not talking pretty, about the big reveal. I'm talking about how he, how the the little boy mm -hmm. talked to ghosts and how he experienced the world oh, around yeah. him. I uh, yeah, there's just like, and how some ghosts just want to be acknowledged. Yeah, and I, some like have to tell you something, and some need help, and some yeah. you know. So that was the first time I'd seen all of that. God, it's amazing how different you and I watch movies. Yeah, I, I, and and like I said, I I don't I try not to be negative on people who see differently than me. When I see Last Temptation of Christ, I'm obviously watching it in a much different manner than somebody who is very very religious. Right. So when I see it, I'm seeing the way the movie is shot. I'm listening to how. Peter Gabriel's score intertwines with the images. I'm watching the performances. Do you ever just let yourself go and watch and watch the story and just you know well, instead the, of being so analytical? No, about no. The, it. Well, the first time I see a movie, I'll, unless it's unless there's something about the movie that takes me out of it, I'm there. We um, I talked about Last Temptation of Christ on a previous show. That that whole experience. Of, of seeing it with all the protests going on on opening day and driving to San Francisco at five in the morning to make sure we got into the first show. And so, but once the lights went down and Cousin Zakis' words came on the screen before the first image, you know, I was able to put out all the stuff that was going on outside. The fact that there were security guards in front of 
the front row to make sure nobody bum rushed the screen to do anything bad because those were re- very real threats when the movie came out. So, but once the lights came down and I wasn't quote unquote an atheist yet. I, I mean, obviously it was there, but I was still searching for who I was. I knew I wasn't Catholic, Christian, that denominate, that, that side of religion. I didn't know who I was fully yet. But when I watched it, I, I got into the story. But I don't have the same connection to Christ the way that somebody who goes to church every week, who reads the Bible, whose who's Christianity or Catholicism, whatever, is a part of their lives. So when I see it, I'm watching the story unfold, and I'm not analyzing it. But when I visit, revisit it on a second or third well, time... sure, yeah. Then, then I start to get into it. But as far as I was concerned, like watching the Last Temptation of Christ was just Jesus Christ Superstar without the mind, without the music. Because at that point, I I've like, never seen Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, yeah. Still haven't. I well, we just had the record, and uh. I just listened to it incessantly. And I think I saw the movie once, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then you know, Last Temptation of Christ. God, that was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. But I still listen to that soundtrack. Oh, I do. All I the mean, time. The, the entire week I was writing that episode, I just oh, had, I had the soundtrack on. That's all I listened to for an entire week. And that music is still so powerful 33 years later. Oh, God, and that it didn't even get nominated for anything is just kind of devastating because it is such a powerful score. And it was also it was th- such a it was such a, a lightning rod of a movie though that yeah. I'm sure nobody wanted to like. Yeah, it only got one Oscar nomination for for director. The directors were the only one who that's, had the balls to say that's a good movie. Right. Oh, t- how times have changed. Yeah. To but to to get out of that, he says, "Yes, I can watch a movie without tearing it apart. Tearing it apart, unless I'm specifically watching it as a critic." Right. Scorsese. You know, made it because he wanted to tell a story of Christ that connected with him. I don't connect to the story of Christ the way right. that that Scorsese was hoping to connect modern Christians, Catholics to this story, and that's why there were so many protests about it because people right. didn't understand. It'd be interesting to talk to a Catholic or even a recovering Catholic about what they thought about that movie. Yeah. But again, the mo- the movie was is not something that was made for my taste, but I could still find the beauty within it. Or maybe that's why I don't have a problem with it the way that others do, is because I don't have that connection to God and Jesus. And Yeah, it certainly leaves a lot out of it. But with Poltergeist, I, I'm, when I watch it, I, I respond to the story as a story. I respond to the visuals as visuals. I respond to the performances as performances. The direction as direction so you know the the ghosts that stuff i can accept at face value that it's happening to these people i don't particularly accept that ghosts are real but then i don't particularly accept that there are people who are on spaceships who are destroying giant planet-sized balls of metal that can destroy a that's yeah. no moon. That's no moon. But yeah, and I'll tell you, it is disconcerting, I guess, to not only have these beliefs, but these experiences. Like, it's not a matter of not believing this stuff is real because I've seen it right. and experienced, experienced it. it. So, it's, so it's funny to me when people are like, yeah, I don't believe in ghosts. We're like, meh. Well, you know. I, okay, so for whatever reason, if there are ghosts, they leave me alone. I don't particularly seek them out either. We keep a respectful distance. <laughs> That's fair. But or you're so thick-headed they can't get through. Think about that. I'm just teasing. No, it's fine. I don't think I'm. Th- I mean, I can admit I'm no, thick-headed about a lot of things. It is literally a different sense. It yeah. is literally a different ear in the back of my head. So mm-hmm. I, you know, it's fine. Which takes us to an American werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> For the first 23 years of David Kessler's life, he was only human. Then one night he took a walk on the moors. Beware the moonlets. Is David behaving strangely? Are you all right now? Well, I'll let you know the next full moon. Tomorrow night's the full moon. You're going to change. From the director of Animal House, a different kind of animal, an American werewolf in London, rated R. 
More mythology. Yeah. An American Werewolf in London. Um, this is one of my favorite all-time movies, An American Werewolf, Werewolf in London. Uh, 1981, written and directed by John Landis. John Landis. John Landis. <coughs> John Landis. Still genius. Um, it tells, let's, let me give you a little a summary. Two American college students are backpacking through Britain when they are attacked by a large wolf. David survives with a bite, but Jack is torn apart. As David heals, he's plagued by violent nightmares of his mutilated friend who warns David that he's becoming a werewolf. Yes. David! Um, oh, I, and I read this today. Landis wrote the first draft of the screenplay for the film in 1969 and shelved it for over a decade. I did not know that. Yeah. Prospective financiers believe that Landis's script was too frightening to be a comedy and too humorous to be a horror film. Horror comedy. Yeah. Wow. Cohormity. Um... So I guess you know, and the, and then you could make the argument about this one too. Yeah, it's it's you know it's grounded. It could be it's construed as grounded genre because it's just happening to you know the David. One guy. Yeah, um, even though the guys at the slaughtered lamb know that there are werewolves. What's the star on the wall for? <laughs> um, it's still it's still happening. And then I love the the genre bending mm. where it happens out on the moors and you know you kind of expect that but then he wakes up in fucking london right i think that's so so cool to like just pull it right out from where you expect it to be great and then stick it in the middle of london with porn theaters <laughs> <laughs> so much so much porn yes um hey what are you gonna do it's london what are you gonna do it's land land's london um but then also the other semi-supernatural part about it is, is the um, the undead and the afterlife and then those crazy dreams. Those dreams were, that's just a stroke of genius as far mm. as I'm concerned, how those dreams were. Um, Nazi wolves notwithstanding. Pigs? <laughs> were they pigs? I can't remember what they were. Oh, God. It's been so It was so long. awful. Did you not watch it again? I, I didn't watch it again. Uh, it's another one of those movies. I, I am not big on horror films. Mm. Like, my favorite Halloween movie is 3, which is, like, the least horror of the Halloween movies. Oh. I I love this. I love the supernatural aspect of it. I like the, how it builds a mythology around Stonehenge and things like that, even if I don't naturally accept Stonehenge for... What are you talking about? Halloween 3. Season oh, I Witch. didn't see it. Oh, that's actually... So, it's... It's more witchy than horror. So, no, so what happened was is that after they made the first... Don't ruin it! No, oh, no, no. I'm just kidding. After they made the first two Halloween movies, right. Carpenter and Hill wanted to go in a different direction. They wanted to literally make an anthology series where every Halloween there was a new movie that was surrounded by the holiday and the mythology... That surrounds Halloween, but not specifically Michael Myers. Oh, I see. Okay. And so they made Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, and it tanked. And then Carpenter and Hill left the series, and they went back to Michael Myers. But if you watch 3, it's, there's a lot of plot holes. And there is a, a fair amount of, of violence, but it's not guy with the mask chasing people down and stabbing you. There actually is a plausible explanation for what's happening. And then the ending will mess with your head. Okay. Uh, Maybe I'll watch it. And, and I'm not a, like a slasher. I don't it's like not, That's the thing. It's not a slasher. Yeah. Movie. That's and I, why... And subsequently, that's why I don't watch those. Mm -hmm. But I do love, you know... Yeah. It's like, movies with you, you know, the Conjuring movies and... See, I love those. Uh, yeah. Ghost stories. Yeah, ghost stories. But just like horror general, yeah. I I can I can count it's on so, one hand. It's so hard for me to, and I guess technically, yeah, uh, American Werewolf in London is a horror movie, but I I think it's a love story. It, I mean, there's a love there's a love story there's buried two, in there's there. There's two love stories. I mean, there's the love for him and his friend, and then right. there's the love, love for him and Jenny Auditor. Yeah, who's but, beautiful. Okay, oh and then it, and and I love the. There's like a, a sweetness that runs through it where that he's comes. like, you know, yeah, where he's saying, you know, I think a werewolf can only be, remember the movie with Lon Chaney and, you know, a werewolf can only be killed by someone who loves him and, 
And then at that that last moment at the end where you think maybe he might turn, I know he's going to eat her, you know, but it's just, there was such emotion evoked in that. Yeah. As much as I appreciate certain aspects of the movie, I am not a big fan of jump scares and I'm not a big fan of gore. Like, like I can handle Evil Dead because it's not gory so much as it is goopy. It's like it's that's a I mean that's semantics. It's it, it, it's semantics to a point, but maybe it's just because I have a phobia of blood. I mean, I hate do you even, have a phobia of blood? I have a phobia of blood. Huh. I have a phobia about needles. Huh. Um, Wow, that's a whole thing. It is a whole thing. There, there, and I can even tell you exactly where the the needles phobia came from. It came from a Charles Bronson movie. Oh my God! There's, there's, a, there's a Bronson. Movie. So movies do affect you. Yes, movies do affect me. I, I hate Dennis because of Marathon Man. I hate needles. Dennis. Be- Dentists. Dentists. I gotcha. Dentists. I'm like, who's Dennis? Dentists. <laughs> is it safe? Yeah, it's safe. it's safe. Sure, yeah, absolutely. It's totally, yeah, it's safe. Yeah. No, it's it's not no, safe. No, dentists, I have a phobia yeah. because of, of dentists because of Marathon Man. And that was 45 years I ago. I think I have a phobia of water because of Jaws. Yeah, I have a phobia of needles because of, of this Charles Bronson movie called Telephone. Where there's a scene where, like, you know those eye exams? Those, those yeah. exam things. Oh, oh I know yeah. what you're talking about. Blah, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. So whenever I have to get my new prescription of glasses, I'm now grateful that I don't have that thing. That they have other things. I gotta that... say, was it the Wrath of Khan where they put the bug in the ear? That didn't bother me so Ooh, much. Oh yeah, that, that didn't that bother really me. Really so like that messed with me too. Yeah, no, like, that I didn't... can't. Yeah, with the also ears. summer of 1982. Saw that theater one at the Aptos Twin. Oh, that was. Twin. Aptos twin. Oh, we have so many stories about the Aptos yeah. twin. But yeah, there, there are certain things that I can I can tell you are directly, my phobias are directly related to a specific scene in a specific movie that still affect me 45 years later. So you're not a, a robot. You actually, movies get in there. Movies get in there. Okay. And, and That's good to hear. That's reassuring. Yeah. I found a dentist. Who likes to go to the dentist? This was also, I think it was, might have been one of my earliest forays into British humor, too. Mm-hmm. And... Certainly about how a movie can be more than one thing. Right. You know, how it can be hilarious and... And then and, horrifying. And horrifying and imminently quotable. And then, you know, forget about it with the special effects. I remember even that when I saw that the, the effects were just... The effects are mind-blowing. Amazing. They are, they are fantastic. But the thing is, that, you know, it's like when I see uh, Griffin Dunn decomposing. Oh God, I thought that was awesome. The, David! That, and, and he was amazing in this too. I was watching yeah. him specifically because I'm a big fan of his and I was specifically watching his performance in this and it's just, it's so droll. Uh-huh. He's just so funny. And I, it's, so you got grounded genre on top of grounded genre when he's like decomposing and he's like, hey, you know who came to my, you know, and it came to my funeral, and she ran into this, David Levine's arms, and, you know, and he's just in there bullshitting about, like, real-life shit. Right. And uh, and yeah. he's still got this huge... Yeah, know, but it's, and... it's the... As, as good as a movie as it is, it's the gore effects. I mean, I can handle when the, the hand is becoming the paw and stretching out. Yeah, that was really I cool. can handle stuff like that, but I, I am not big on gore. It's just... I don't I'm, remember. It's not, I guess, uh, other things are more gory. We're also living in a time where everything, we're just inundated with everybody trying to one-up them, each yeah. other. Well, that's why, that's another thing that makes it so cool. It's hilarious, and it's got all these, you know, these great subplots and all right. these other things. It's not and, just. And the performances, forget about it, yeah. you know. And then the actors, great actors. Yeah. Everybody's so committed. And then, you know, Frank Oz, very cool. And then the score. And the score. Oh! My God. So the score is so funny. So just a, a so the soundtrack is all these great songs, right? All right. these moon related songs and Soft moonlight 
without a love of my own. And I love the um, contrast of, you know, the things that are happening and the, the light, fluffy, you know, fun, moony music. Um, and then the score is so, it's still so clear in my brain from even all these years ago. And I used to, actually, when I used to go running through the Redwood Forest, through Nicene Marks, I used to, just to entertain myself, I would just, like, play the, the score in my head. I'm running through the I still do. Anyway, point is, I still like every time I'm running and and trying to distract myself, and I, I feel like a you know wolf. Or... And speaking of movies with great soundtracks, <laughs> we've got to work on our segues. My last movie is one of my absolute favorites of all time. All times, really? Really? That's saying I'm, something. It is saying something. Alex Cox's 1984 debut. Repo Man. Hey, baby, you need a ride? Meet Otto, master repossessor of cars. I'm going to have to torture you. He meets the weirdest people. Let's go do some crimes. And stumbles into the strangest situations. You think it's too late for us to get romantically involved? But nothing could prepare him for the ultimate repossession. Wow, this is intense. Repo Man, rated R. Starts Friday, May 4th at selected theaters and drive-ins near you. If you've never seen Repo Man, please stop listening now if you're still listening and watch this movie. And go buy the soundtrack. And go buy the soundtrack. But first, watch this movie. For those of you who haven't seen it, Emilio Estevez stars as a bored Orange County punker who accidentally stumbles into a conspiracy of aliens and nuclear war when he inadvertently teams with Harry Dean Stanton to become a car repossession man. That in and of itself sounds like a stupid fucking movie. But there is so much going on in the movie on so many levels that I can watch it again and still see things that I missed the first 15, 20 times. What I love about Repo Man is that it's 37 years old I'm watching it again this week for the first time in a while, but I've easily seen it 25 times. I'm still finding new things to connect to it. And and even just little things like um, I used to drive a 64 Falcon when after high school when I was uh, working at the Aptos Twin and the other theaters. And the a group of the, the, the repo men drive a 64 Falcon I, when I bought the car, I didn't make the connection that it was from Repo. That it's not the exact same cars they use in Repo Man, but it's right. It's a '64 Ford Falcon. So it's like, oh, I, you know. But my mind was, you know, wasn't looking at the car; it was watching the performances. And then I finally saw a, a moment in the movie last time I watched it, where it's like, I used to have that car, <laughs> but I've seen that movie so many times after I drip while I was driving that car. And after I own that car, but for some reason, my brain, be, and it's because there's a music cue in that scene that takes that my mind for a split second goes somewhere else and brings back other memories. I think movies sort of become a whole, like a whole separate thing. Like you mm-hmm. stop seeing them, you start seeing them in a certain way, and then it's hard to see them in a different, different way. Yeah. That's why it's been really interesting to... I, that's why I like watching the new versions when they come out, new director's cuts, because then sometimes you can see something from a different perspective, especially mm-hmm. when a director's cut comes out as a you know prior director myself. Mm-hmm. I want to see the choices that they made, you know, and that, that sometimes will pull me out of the story enough to see something completely different. Repo Man, there's, you know, in 1984, um, I'm living in Santa Cruz. I'm hanging out with Randy. You know, so who's basically Emilio Estevez's character in Repo Man come to life. Oh, my God. I, and, and Randy, that's a compliment <laughs> if you're listening. That, 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 I was around those people in 1984 when the movie came out. 
And we were excited for this movie when it came out. Universal botched the release of the movie. They didn't know what they had. They released it into a few theaters nationwide, and it bombed. And then the soundtrack became a huge seller. And, you know, the movie's distributed by Universal Pictures, a division of MCA. The record is from MCA Records. So the record label went to the movie people and said, can you please put it back out in theaters so that we can sell more records? Because this thing is on fire. The success of the movie will help fuel the soundtrack sales. And that's exactly what happened. They re-released the movie with a new ad campaign, tied it to the record, and that's when it finally became a cult hit. And it's amazing that it was it took the record right. to take off in order for the movie to take off. So even though the movie came out when I was a junior... Who was the music supervisor? Do you remember? I don't remember. But whoever it was is a freaking genius. And 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 the even listening to the songs like the Pablo Picasso was never called an asshole. Pablo Picasso was never called an asshole. Pablo Picasso was never called an asshole. The band Burning Sensations, you may or may not remember, they had a, a semi-hit song. If you watched like MV3 or MTV, you might remember a song about Jonah in the belly of a whale. Yeah. Yeah. That's the same band. Oh wow! As Pablo Picasso is never, you know, and of course Pablo Picasso is a remake of Jonathan Richmond song from the seventies. It's not even their song. Oh. But to, to listen to Burning Sensations doing Belly of a Whale in nineteen eighty three, and then hear him do Pablo Picasso a year later. Wow! That is just you know those are two completely different musical styles. And then you've got Iggy Pop, and you've got Fishbone doing country, and you've got, you know, institutionalized. You no, know, you're on drugs. I go, Mom, I'm okay. I'm just thinking. She goes, No, you're not thinking. You're on drugs. Normal people don't act that way. I go, Mom, just give me a Pepsi, please. All I want is a Pepsi. And kid wouldn't give it to me. All I wanted was a Pepsi. Just one Pepsi. And kid wouldn't give it to me. Just a Pepsi. is just an amazing song yeah. in and of itself, regardless of anything else. Fell in love with the soundtrack. Thank you, Randy. <laughs> uh, Randy introduced me to the soundtrack. We went to see it when it finally opened at the Nickelodeon. And the thing is that it didn't open to the Nickelodeon until like seven or eight months until after it actually came out because, again, Universal completely botched the original release. And every Santa Cruz punk... In late 1984. And there were a lot. And there were a lot. Was trying to get in. For free. No, no. They oh. were just trying to get in to the Nickelodeon. <laughs> they are trying to break in. And that's Sneak and, in. And, and the original theater that it was in was one of the smaller houses at the Nickelodeon yeah. on, on the first night, on that Friday night. That second night, Saturday night, they moved it into the big house, which was still less than 200 seats. But that movie was tailor-made for Santa Cruz punks in 1984. Oh, my God, yeah. And and then and then you but as you watch it, you're not 
it's just it, it's filled with with punk anger but the anger is aimed partially at punks for being posers partially aimed at the government for being posers and then but then all this anger is tied into this story that is so bizarre and all this and all this 80s ennui too yeah. i mean yeah. the 80s were such a, a bizarre bizarre time you can't if you didn't live it it's very hard to explain it i can show you repo that'll only scratch the surface but you know but like the little things like everything being generic oh god so funny it's everything like an artistic generic. choice yeah as an artistic choice was brilliant um keeping because even that's a, a comment on society at that point right and and living through the reagan era was was interesting <laughs> but, but but what i love about it is that that i still can connect with all of the weird stuff that's going on. Oh my god, yeah. That that even if I I I know opening a trunk won't zap somebody into dust. I also know that's an homage to another movie which then Tarantino kind of used in pulp fiction to a certain degree, not to the same degree. But and I'm trying to re- I'm blanking the name of the movie right now. But there's a there's a 1950s movie noir movie that actually uses that as a device oh cool um that that cox borrowed a lot of stuff from other movies in order to tell his story but no matter how bizarre the movie becomes it's still relatable because you have these characters who are grounded in their own reality that makes sense i mean you listen to tracy walter talking about all these things that how the universe is connected if you're listening to him just in and of itself walking down the street he sounds like a crazy person but then you put him into this movie and and the movie makes sense because he makes sense even the weird stuff like plate of shrimp you know and all that i'm walking down the street and somebody's i'm thinking plate of shrimp and then somebody says plate of shrimp you know that in and of itself sounds crazy but when it's presented within the, the parameters of the movie, a lot of it makes sense. Um, and Harry Dean Stanton, and that's why I think the movie stays so grounded even when it becomes so fantastic, is because Harry Dean Stanton brings a sense of gravitas that even if you don't know who he is, the face and the voice and the mannerisms and the way he just presents himself is that you can accept him as a surrogate for yourself within the movie, even if you don't identify with anybody else. But watching the movie again, you know, so many things that I I never noticed before. That uh, when when the punks are robbing the liquor store, they have the one of them has a bag over his head, and he's actually cut the top of the bag so his mohawk. Right. I never caught that before. That he had he cut the top of the bag. Because I'm watching other things going on. So for some reason, my eye went up instead of to the left. Right. Or whatever. But that's the genius of the movie, that there's so much stuff going on that you can continually be entertained by it, no matter how many times you see it. And catch all these different things that you might have missed the first or the fifth or the tenth time. But it still stays... This could happen anywhere. Because it's still based in a sense of a real world. You're still in L.A., outside of this little world of the Repo Men and and the the girl and her kooky friends who are trying to find the aliens, and and the the government people who are after the kooky people. But it's like outside of this insular world, nobody knows what's going on. Nobody's looking for the car, the scientist that could trigger a catastrophe for everybody. Nobody knows what's going on outside of these few people. And even the people who are within that world don't always know what's going on. Otto kind of just stumbles into it. But had he not gone to do this one thing this one day that led him down that path. And that's what I love about it is that that this 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 young man just randomly enters this world that he should not be a part of and that nobody else knows about outside of this core group of individuals and even though it could affect everybody that what's what's the one thing the aliens in the trunk right that can cause 
Everything. Armageddon. Right. And so, and, and so within Glenn's parameters, it works. Because it's the one thing that makes it different. Every, and, and, you know, the, the characters are reacting to that one thing. But still, it's that one thing that makes it unique. But the soundtrack is... That sends it into, into genre. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely... It's, it's like the lowest budget sci-fi movie you could possibly make. Because, you know, the car still levitates and flies. There's aliens. There's, there's weird scientific experiments. It's got all of the trappings of a science fiction movie. And I think it costs less than a million dollars. Oh, my God. Yeah. And just because, you know, and that includes the music. You know, wow. The music rights. Because, you know, outside of Iggy Pop, who were those people? About all sort of. Do you <laughs> think that movie could have been made today? I don't think it could be made today. If you had made it two years into the Trump presidency, yeah. absolutely. We don't have punks anymore, so. Well, we still have punks. They're they're just post punks, and and they're but they're or, or they're they're the children of the original punks, and and they're angry about other things, and they have other ways of expressing right. themselves than we did. Do I think a movie like like Repo Man could be made today? No, just because. I think that movie needs to exist within a specific world where people are angry for very specific reasons. You know, what do you, I mean, what are we mad about today that people won't accept science for what it truly is? They won't accept explanations of why things could get better if you just did this one thing. Instead, we're talking, you That's know, a pretty good storyline, though. Yeah, but, but it's just like, but we're not mad at the government we're not mad at... What's, oh, right. Not anymore. Yeah. We're not mad at the government. <laughs> we're not mad at... We're mad at a certain segment of society for failing to understand basic concepts. We're not mad at society because they're selling everybody out for a different reason. Because not taking a vaccination is not selling out. So... You know, you can't be, you know, you couldn't build Repo Man in a post-vaccination, post-Trump world. It needs to be during the Trump world, before the, before the, back, uh, the, the virus. Right. It, need, it needed to be made in a specific time, which is also why I think that when he finally made a sequel of sorts, Repo, I forget if it's Repo Girl or Repo Woman. I've never seen it. But when he finally made it, it was made during the early days of the Obama administration. And it doesn't work the same because we as a society were seeing things different than we were during the Bush administration. So I think this specific movie needs to be made when a certain segment of the young population is acting out against how their parents have settled and how the government has given them incentive oh my god also. i think that's totally right now you know if you the kids are rebelling with gender with sexuality with um and they're all laden with student loans and they have no future because they can't afford anything and and their grandparents fucked everything up and you know i think i think now would be an amazing time to do something like that like Maybe. this generation coming up is completely i think they're just shattering things that we've always just taken for granted right I, I think, okay, well, let me rephrase then. The, I think the key difference is action versus inaction. I think the younger people today oh, take more action. Right. The malaise of the yeah, of Repo cause, Man. Cause, cause, yeah, the malaise of Repo Man, because most of those, the punks in Repo Man. They're just fucking bored. They're, they're bored, and they have no, no other outlet right. for their boredom. Today, you Lots know, of young people, whether whether it's you know gender or race or whatever, they have more outlets. They have more allies. So the anger is externalized. The anger, of the anger is 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 focused on something specific. What is Otto mad at in Repo Man? He's mad at his parents. What is he doing about it? Literally nothing. <laughs> Um, his friends, they're mad at their parents. What are they doing about it? Drinking beer and slamming each other. 
That's they're what, not. That's what I did. Well, that's what I did too. Right. I mean, how many mosh pits did I go to in concerts in, at the Civic over the years? Far too many to count. I got chipped tooth to prove it too. And then, but even then, you know, so, some of us growing up in the '80s when we were rebelling, we we were focused our energies on, you know, apartheid or you know, against live aid, like you know, in, injustices. We yeah. focused our attention on certain Africa. injustices of what was going on that was wrong in the world. You know, Amnesty International, Live Aid, Free Nelson Mandela. We had a focus, and but most a lot of punks didn't. They just fucked shit up because they were bored and and couldn't think of any other way to release that anger and frustration. Today, there are so many ways where you can find people who are allies and who are like you that you have no connection with because they're not in your hometown. You know, you... Hopefully. You know, no, but it's like, if you live in Santa Cruz... In 2021, and and you are you feel alone. You can go on a box and connect with somebody in Germany or. In, I'm just saying, like, sure, the you know the capacity is there, but yeah. whether or not that actually happens, there's still plenty of people who feel isolated. Right, and, but 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 and then the magic box will also turn on you and. Right, but but you have you have you. a lot of people who are. You, that's the possibility of a lot of people. Yeah. But there, there, there are a great many people, you know, Twitter is a, a shitstorm of hate and depression. But there's so many people on there who are, you know, like uh, Charlotte Clymer, mm-hmm. you know, she's, who, she's fantastic. But that was somebody, you know, if, if Charlotte was Charlotte in 1984, her ability to communicate with the outside world would be much more limited. And now someone who is transgendered and doesn't feel comfortable about coming out to their parents or coming out to their society, still has a way of talking to people outside of their their worldview. Right. Who have been there and done that and, and have dealt with the circumstances and have dealt with the blowback. And that's why I, I think that, that a movie like Repo Man couldn't be made today simply because though if we were... 17 and 18 today a lot of us would have our focused energies on specific things that will help make society better rather than just fuck shit up and drink beer and so that's why i I think and i think you need to be the world needs to be in a certain place to do that and i don't know if repo man could ever be made properly again except as a period piece because now there are there are more ways to get your frustration out or find avenues to take that energy and put it to good use. Well, uh, unfortunately, also to some people for bad use, but right. in general. It's interesting to, to actually end on this and to wrap, wrap up with this because uh, in that way, then the Repo Man is the only movie we've talked about that had to exist in that grounded reality right you know so i think that's really interesting because the other movies we talked about yeah maybe you could you could remake et you could remake you could remake back to the future yeah but repo man can only exist then i think yeah it has to be and you know maybe i think that's fascinating maybe in maybe in the bush era bush one yeah maybe even not so much in bush two because by then we already had methods of mass communication right. even if it wasn't the same as it with social media today i don't know i i i would disagree i think the rarify the error of the 80s you know the early 80s it's yeah it was a it was a unique shitstorm of circumstances right. that led to even including like all the generic beer and shit like that yeah. you know i mean I, five block five pound blocks of cheese right i mean a, i mean can you imagine a band like suicidal tendencies having a hit like institutionalized in 2021 with the market so fractured. I mean, because you have, instead now of having specific avenues towards getting a record heard. Right. You have so many ways, and then there's so many people that, you know. Well, they don't even have soundtracks really anymore. Like, you know, you can't go and get a record or a yeah. tape I mean, with a soundtrack on it. And yeah, you, you, you download it. Pick from, and choose. You, you download it from iTunes yeah. store or... and, you, and you don't even listen to you don't even have to listen to all of them like mm-hmm. when you have a record you have to like 
listen to fucking all of them whether you like them or not. Right. So you're exposed to more stuff instead of just cherry picking the ones that you like. Yeah, because... But also, yeah, but that also says a lot of just about records yeah. and how you listen to them and yeah. how artists put them together and right. how they put them in order and like, no, that's the last song on side two and God damn it. That... Yeah. So when you drop that needle, you're finishing the album. But yeah, but, but a movie like Repo Man is, you know, is of a certain era. It has to take place in the early days of Reagan. Just like Argo must take place during, you know, the Iranian hostage situation because that's what that's it's what about. It's about. <laughs> but but it's like, you know, you couldn't even if there was a no, another hostage situation in Iran right. in twenty twenty one, there's so many things in that movie that couldn't happen the way they happened because of what's changed between now and then. And that's why I don't think you can remake Repo Man, because so much has changed in society between now and then that everything is different. Even if there's still angry punks in the world who are aimless, more of people today now have the ability to find their tribe outside of their little worldview. Right. Hopefully. Huh? They can. Yeah. And that... Is that. And that, as they say, is that. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Ed. And that is our episode on Grounded Genre. Thank you for joining us. And thank you to Sarah for taking time out of their busy schedule to join me. You can follow them on Twitter at Sarah Bullion. We'll talk again soon. This episode of the Film Jerk Podcast has been researched and written by Sarah Bullion and Edward Havens, and edited by Edward Havens for Idiosyncratic Entertainment. Thank you again. Good night. Soup lines. Three loaves of bread. Five pound blocks of cheese. Bags of groceries. Social security has run out on you and me. Whatever we can Gotta duck when the shit hits the fan <laughs>